moment. We're going to read uh, part from uh, part of one of the accounts of Jesus' life. Simon's going to read for us, uh, and then after that, Richard is going to come and speak. Simon, thank you. So, actually, we're going to do two readings. Um, so, before we get to Mark, uh, we're going to read from Psalm 23. So, if you've already got your finger in page 1009, um, leave it there, but then page 555 is where you want to go first. So, Psalm 23, page 555. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And then if you turn to page 1009, or a few more taps and scrolls, we're reading Jesus feeds the 5,000 from verse 30. Mark 6, verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of him, of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. It's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than a half year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus told them to go to, to make all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Uh, thank you very much for the joy and privilege of speaking this morning. We're on page uh, 1009. It'll be a great help to me if we can have Bibles open as we work through. So we've got a feast uh, before us, uh, and we're going to tuck in. 
But not without first a word of warning, because the problem with feasts, of course, is indigestion. Go to the supermarket and you can find great offers, two for the price of one. Come to church this morning, you get a better offer, three for the price of one. Because this feast, famously known as the Feeding the 5,000, uh, although they were probably counting women and children more like 15 or 20,000, uh, this feast points to two others in the Bible. One back in time, one forward in time. And we're going to touch upon um, all three uh, if we're going to do justice to the one in front of us. So the challenge for us is to keep things as clear and simple as possible. And I thought we'd do that by piggybacking off the back of uh, the words of that lovely song we sang a moment ago, Jesus strong and kind. So two points. Uh, Jesus is kind, he gets us, and Jesus is strong, he helps us. Firstly then, uh, Jesus is kind, he gets us. He certainly gets his disciples, doesn't he? He knows exactly what they need. We didn't read verses uh, 7 to 12 earlier, but they tell us that they've been off in pairs doing the work that Jesus has given them, uh, preaching and healing. So as they return here in verse 30, I guess they're not only a mix of uh, excitement and exhaustion, but also frustration and disappointment, irritation, because they can't have what they want. They want time with Jesus, but they can't have it. They can't have him to themselves. People are getting in the way uh, and what's more, uh, they're hungry. Verse 30. Uh, the apostles uh, gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they didn't have a chance to eat. Uh, a friend of mine would probably this, describe them as being hangry. Jesus said, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, I think at this point it's really good we're told what Jesus uh, thought rather than the disciples, because I reckon there would have been toys out the pram, uh, even bad language. What the beep are they doing here? And reading it on, it's clear that the disciples can't wait to get rid of them. Uh, verse 35. Uh, send, uh, where are we? By the time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. Uh, this is a remote place, they said, and it's already late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Send the people away. Get rid of them, Jesus. That's the wish. But of course, it's dressed up as concern. Uh, they'll be hungry, Jesus. Uh, the crowd may have been hungry, we're not told, but we are told it was the disciples who were hungry. Well, sadly, I see a lot of myself in these disciples. 
um, here, and I dare say that I'm not alone. Selfishness, uh, self-interest, uh, getting what I want is my default position. Uh, I can get peopled out. And I'm certainly not at my best when I'm tired and hungry. And yet Jesus gets us wonderfully. He doesn't hold our frailties against us, uh, quite the reverse. In the words of the, uh, the song, it's that awareness of our failings that should move us towards Jesus to avail ourselves of his forgiveness. Jesus says, if I am weak, I should come to him. No one else can be my strength. I should come to him. So it's not only the disciples uh, that Jesus gets, he also gets the needs of this crowd. Uh, verse 34, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. A true understanding of this wonderful word compassion uh, must start, uh, sits and rightly starts with Jesus. See, I've always wanted to find in my Bible uh, Jesus having a good belly laugh uh, with his disciples. Because after all, he's the one that invented laughter. He's the one that invented humour. But I won't find that. Jesus isn't known as the man of sorrows uh, without reason. Because as he moved around this small corner of the, uh, the, the Near East 2,000 years ago and saw need at every twist and turn, uh, the hurt, the brokenness of people's lives, his heart went out, his stomach literally turned. His compassion was visceral. Uh, I've been reading um, uh, The Magician's Nephew. Um, I was reading um, a grown-up book on holiday and I thought this isn't doing me any good so I'll read a, ch a child's book and it's the first, if you know, in the Narnia series by C.S. Lewis. Um, a beautiful story and there is Diggory, a young boy, um, whose mum is seriously ill. Um, and uh, let me read you a little snip that um, jumped out to me. Aslan in the story is uh, the Christ figure, um, if you don't know. Diggory said, uh, but please, please, won't you, can't you give me something that will cure mother? Up till then, he'd been looking at the lion's great feet and the huge claws on them. Now, in his despair... He looked up at its face. What he saw surprised him as much as anything in his whole life. For the tawny face was bent down near his own and, wonder of wonders, great shining tears stood in Aslan's eyes. They were such big, bright tears compared to Diggory's own that for a moment he felt as if the lion must really be sorrier about his mother than he was himself. 
My son, my son, said Aslan, I know grief is great. I didn't have many words of comfort um, when my friend nursed his dear mum with dementia um, pretty much single-handedly year after year. But I did say, Phil, know that when you weep, you're not alone because Jesus weeps with you. If we were to look out on this crowd, I think we would have seen the same thing the disciples saw, people, people like you and me. But when Jesus looked out on this crowd, he saw something different, lost people. That's what sheep specialise in, getting lost. But they're spiritually lost people that Jesus sees, and that presents itself in uh, all forms. Ignorance, confusion, arrogance, anxiety, not clear, perhaps not bothered about the big questions of life. What's it all about? Why am I here? Where's it all headed? Well, if you'd place yourself in that crowd, and in some way that reflects you, then be encouraged, because there is a shepherd with answers, uh, and the way that he leads his sheep is through the teaching of his word. Did you see that? When he saw the crowd, he began teaching them many things. And that's what we're doing now, uh, opening his word, letting him lead us. Uh, Come back next week, the week after. Um, There's um, downstairs, there's a copy of Mark's Gospel, which we'd love you to take and read, if you would like. What did we sing earlier? Jesus says that if I'm lost, I should come to him. And he showed me on that cross, he will come to me. Well, I hope you can see Jesus' kindness here. That life can be struggle. That no one else gets me. No one else knows what I'm going through. Well, Jesus does. He gets us. Let him come to you this morning. Secondly then, Jesus is strong. He helps us. Is life a random uh, set of decisions that we make as we muddle through, or is there a plan behind it? Well, I think the answer is yes. It's possible for both to be true at the same time. And I think that's what we see here. Because it seems complete chance how we land in this particular place at this particular time with this particular crowd. We've had the reunion, uh, people everywhere, let's get away, boat, trip, oh my goodness, people again. But at the same time, I think there's the sense that uh, Jesus has this moment planned. This feast is is something that's planned. He's allowed random events to play out as he sets the stage for the opportunity uh, to teach the disciples, to teach us um, who he is through the feeding miracle to come. Verse 35, by this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's very late. Um, what should verse 36 say at that point? 
uh, surely um, it should say, you're the Messiah. Can you please uh, feed the people, Jesus, here and now? Um, but because they're, they're not clear about who he is at this point, they go for the rational uh, approach. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered, you give them something. I don't think it's being unkind or clever, uh, rather wanting to make clear that they don't have the resources. It's impossible for them to meet the needs of others. But in Jesus' hands, the insignificant becomes significant. Uh, the insufficient becomes sufficient. Uh, the five loaves become a feast. And notice how he includes the disciples at every point. You provide, not possible. Uh, see what there is. Five loaves, two fish comes the answer. We're not told the mechanics of the miracle. Uh, just verse 41, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. You see, he gets the disciples to hand it out. He gets the disciples to collect up uh, the leftovers. Jesus is strong. He helps us. Each disciple now has hands-on experience of his miraculous power to provide when no one else can. And as they stand with their basket full of leftovers, almost feels like a bit of a tangi tangible um, rebuke for their unbelief. I wonder if their minds went back to the first of the three feasts uh, that we were talking about at the beginning. You see, verse 31, quiet place, 32, solitary place, uh, 35, remote place. They're all the same word in the original Greek for desert or wilderness. Mark is helping us to make the link back to Moses' leading and feeding of the Israelites um, in the wilderness hundreds of years earlier. In the Old Testament book of Exodus, we read people were grumbling because like here, they were hungry. So God said to Moses in chapter 16, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. In the morning, you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. Then you will know when this bread comes down from heaven, I am the Lord your God. So can you see the link? This Jesus is the same God who kept his promise for 40 years to his people in the wilderness as he fed them daily bread from heaven. We've got two miracles, uh, 1,500 years apart, but each time uh, God caring for his people's needs and meeting them miraculously. Reading on further from our passage, verse 52, uh, we see that the disciples hadn't got it, hadn't understood the loaves. And verses in chapter 8, a couple of pages on, tell us the same. So what should the disciples have learned? What should we learn this morning? 
Well, a few things, but I think the big thing concerns Jesus' identity. Jesus is, at Mark, as Mark claims at the very beginning of his book, um, the Messiah, the Son of God, strong and kind, powerful and loving. That is what this feeding miracle is all about, who Jesus is. But like all miracles we find in the Bible, uh, they point back beyond the Exodus, beyond the Old Testament, to the perfect world that God created in the first place. They point back to Eden. You see, feeding miracles look back to a time when no one was hungry. Healing miracles look back to a time when there was no one blind or broken or sick. Nature miracles look back to the time when there was totally, total harmony between humanity and creation. The miracles have been likened to a tornado in reverse, just as we see tornadoes in some part of the world um, ripping through towns and villages, leaving devastation in their wake. So to our rejection of our maker, our good maker has left devastation in our world, broken, hurting lives. But as Jesus fed the hungry, healed the sick, calmed the storm, uh, the tornado is in reverse. Uh, the miracles aren't a suspension of the natural order, but more like a restoration of the natural order, have we, as we are getting a glimpse of that perfect world that God made. In our wealthy city here in Cambridge, um, there are people who are hungry. And it's great that uh, some of our churches are, are in the front line helping them with food banks. But even when we have plenty to eat, uh, we still live in want. We're still unsatisfied. We may not long for bread, but we long for meaning intimacy, fulfillment, peace, contentment, community, that we can be anxious and fearful. We long for our world to be restored. But if the only purpose of the miracles was to look back to what, was, what has been lost, that would be tragic. But wonderfully, they look forward to and that brings us to our third and biggest of all feasts, that is yet to come. Uh, you and I have missed out on this feast in Mark's Gospel. We've missed out in the feast that uh, Moses talks of in the book of Exodus. But we don't need to miss out on this feast uh, that awaits us at the end of time. The Bible is big on food. It's in the, uh, all over the place in the New and Old Testaments but not food on its own. It's the business of family and friends around the table enjoying all the good things God gives. And I've had a, I've had a great weekend of it. Uh, Friday night, we were out with a small crowd, somebody's house, uh, lovely spread, enjoying um, chatting, laughter, uh, eating, drinking. Last night, we had three generations of our family uh, out for a pizza, celebrating a graduation. And increasingly, um, I'm aware that um, it's in those moments when I'm at my happiest, 
most content. And I don't think that should be a surprise to us because they are a glimpse of that heavenly banquet that awaits, uh, that the prophet Isaiah captures so beautifully uh, in his Old Testament book. Let me read verses from Isaiah 25. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheep that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove from his people's disgrace, his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted it in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. I used to think that um, following Jesus um, would be a bit like following Manchester City at the moment. It would be glory and delight and joy all day long, that somehow I'd be elevated to a, to a higher plane, a level of a place of ease and plenty immune from life's troubles. Uh, we mustn't be misled. That's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, following Jesus is full of testing, of wilderness trial. Perhaps this morning you're facing burdens um, far beyond you and crying out, Jesus, what are you doing? Well, he's doing what, he's all, what he always uh, does. in desert places. He leads his people into them and there he spreads out a table. Uh, he takes what we have, he takes uh, who we are in all our inadequacy and he makes it more than enough, just as we've seen with this wonderful feeding miracle this morning. Jesus said that if I thirst or hunger, I should come to him. No one else can satisfy. I should come to him. Well, 40 years of following Jesus, I can testify that those words are true. Uh, no one else, nothing else in this world will satisfy you uh, without Jesus by your side. Now, Cara and Amanda are going to come and um, use their beautiful voices to uh, continue to extend uh, the wonderful invitation that we have before us this morning. <laughs> 